Thank you for tuning in to The Arts in Business, a podcast that explores how artistic sensibilities can positively impact the business world. I am Sebastian Grube, an artist, entrepreneur, and communications professional who aims to build a more compassionate world through amplifying voices. I am also the founder of Beyond Comms, a communications agency that unearths and amplifies the stories that inspire founders to build sustainable and impactful businesses. So let's dive in. Hi, dear listeners. Thank you for joining us today. I'm with Lily Moynette today, who is a dear friend of mine and someone who just beams with artistry and artistic activity. She graduated from Trinity College in Dublin with a master's degree in art history, and she currently works for New York University Abu Dhabi as a grants coordinator. I wanted to bring Lily onto the podcast because she paints, she saws, she's incredibly passionate about fashion, occasionally hosts crafternoons for her friends to come together to create and chat. And together with Lily, I wanted to explore how artistic practices in this free and non-professional way uh, can inform her professional work and other interactions. And Lily just has the most bubbly and uplifting character, so I'm super excited to <laughs> dive into our conversation today. Thank you for joining me, Lily. How are you? Great. How have you been? Awesome. I've been mm-hmm. really well. Um, so let's start with the first question, which is, what did you bring as your vessel and beverage of choice? Well, I brought this little mug that was given to me a couple of Christmases ago um, by my dear friend Zoe, who's so sweet and has recently moved to New York. I'm just having some cinnamon tea. Awesome. I love that. Can you describe the mug, uh, what it looks like? (laughs) It's just a pretty regular mug, but it's covered in all kinds of little protruding dots and so on. Very Christmassy with lots of greens and blues and pinks. Yeah, it has like this nice pastel type calming energy about it. I love that. Um, I brought, since it's uh, the late afternoon, I brought my big blue mug with some uh, beige tones that holds a lot of tea and I'm having a berry tea without any caffeine because it's late. (laughs) A very broad question, but to our listeners, can you describe your artistic practice? Well, I'd say it's a bit of a messy one. Um, For those of you who can see my background, I've created these pieces. And whenever I go into any form of a project, whether it's painting, sewing, digital collage, I always go into it with a clear idea of what I want to create and then immediately deviate from that and just kind of work with the mess of whatever is there to create something so far from my vision, I never would have even thought about it in the first place. Yeah, and maybe to describe the background to the listeners. So Lily is sitting in front of this large canvas that is essentially covering her walls. And you see greens and reds and blues and kind of this drippy uh, nature uh, kind of just oozing down the canvas. And then to the side, there's this uh, smaller canvas that's a green and blue, um, more of an abstract kind of uh, feeling, I guess, how I would describe it. Um, but calming and like drawing you in. So uh, describe a little bit of that process of when it gets messy. Um, what are the what are the impulses you follow uh, when you find that something wants to drive you into a different direction? I usually start most art with just like a feeling. Um, so the one to my side that is the greens and blues. Out of my window on Rheem Island, you see the beautiful mangroves. 
scattered about all below. And so it was mainly to invoke that. I know you can't quite see it because of the lighting, but there's a little river that kind of forms through it. Um, so that was kind of made to follow that along. But of course it started, now it's very abstract and spongy. It started as a very realistic piece to begin with, which then led to its own dripping and just kind of splattering everything with with sponges. Yeah. And knowing you, that's, that's what I love about your practice too, because you start somewhere and then you're not afraid to just go somewhere else. If you're, if you're, if it, I don't, your feelings take you there or the work takes you there. I think that's something so beautiful um, rather than keep like holding on to that thing that you want to create. You're, you really are letting, letting you, letting yourself be guided, I guess, maybe. Yeah. When I say artistic sensibilities, what does that mean to you then with the practice that, that uh, you have? I like to, well, I think artistic sensibility itself is kind of bringing an emotion into what you want to create and then hoping that the people are viewing it, get that emotion from it as well. Or even to just invoke emotion from them at all is a lot of what creating art is all about, for me at least. And so, you know, whenever I'm working on something, whether it's something calming and that's what I'm going for, or the rather insane splatter mess that is behind me, uh, it's just to create something that draws the eye and brings you in and gives you that feeling. Hmm. And what have you learned in that practice, I guess, from uh, working from a place of emotion or wanting to elicit emotion in the viewer? Well, I think you just kind of have to see where it goes. Even if you may start with a certain feeling, you may get quite frustrated by halfway through and the next thing you know, you're throwing paint at something. But at the end of the day, as long as you like what you've made, that's the end goal. Um, no matter how messy the process gets along the way, you just kind of have to see where the journey, whether it be life or what you're doing in your day-to-day -day brings you and see if you can make something you love out of it. Yeah, I like that. Beside the, the practice of painting, of creating work, I also want to talk a little bit about the crafter nuance because for me, that seems like an, another type of artistic practice too that is also rooted in um, building community or gathering community. Tell us a little bit more about these crafter nuance and uh, what you're learning through them or what you're exploring and finding. Absolutely. So they started um, a bit before COVID, just a few months actually, with a good friend, um, Judy Olson, who you know as well. And we were actually creating a space in the university for people who are within the community to come together and create in the sewing, um, well, the costume department that she runs. And it was initially built a lot around teaching others. And so Judy was teaching people how to knit. I was very poorly teaching people how to crochet to the point which everyone at one point even turned away <laughs> and started learning to knit from Judy. But we were all kind of, working on different projects as it developed and everyone just kind of started to join together. And then of course COVID hit and that was no longer an option for anyone. We had the forest curfews and everything else. But when I ended up moving to Ream Island, every now and then I had my friend Liza come over and we would start just kind of working on our own little projects while watching a silly TV show. And I'd make some snacks and so on. And from there, she's the one that started calling it Crafternoons. And we started inviting more and more people and it just became a space just about every Sunday afternoon for people to come together with a variety of projects. We've had friends who have come and just ended up sending emails from work, other ones who have been creating large artistic painting pieces, some working on scrapbooks 
and all sorts of things, but it also just creates a time for everyone to create. I think one of the hardest parts about having a nine to five and getting really used to that and kind of working within that, not really having time for these projects. And so creating that for a lot of my friends is one of my favorite things about it because we didn't have one for a month and then we had one last week and everyone was like, Lily, I haven't had time to work on anything in ages. I'm so glad you started doing this again. Um, so I think that's definitely my favorite part. And having everyone work around you and different things who are all come from different, very different areas of life and work and so on, just create their own objects. is just so magical in its own way because you can always discuss things with them and kind of talk about it and inform each other. I've taught friends how to do digital collages during craft afternoons and I've had other ones who've taught me how to crochet granny squares, which is all the more sad that I was teaching other people how to crochet when I didn't even know how to do that. But it takes courage, and I think it, it, you learn through it as well. Um, but that brings me to the to kind of my next question: is you, you're talking about creating time for others um, to practice their art. What do you do to nourish your artistic sensibilities? Because you have a five nine to five job, often more than nine to five and longer hours. Um, so how do you make sure that you can you're nourishing your sensibilities and your artistic practice? I think a lot of that is just building in the time for it, whether through the craft afternoons or just during the evening to give myself a project and just start to work on it. Like I've probably have about four different projects in different areas of my house. And I have to be like, okay, today I'm actually going to work on this. Otherwise, you know, life just kind of takes you by swing and you'll end up doing other things. If you don't just have the focus to be like, okay, no, today I'm working on the tapestry. Tomorrow I'll work on the painting. Nice, yeah. But as I think that's so important. And that's something that hasn't come up in the conversations we've been having on the podcast yet is time, actually making time in your schedule to create and making sure that you have that buffer or that space uh, for yourself and for the for the work that you want to engage with. So thank you for bringing that in. I, I mentioned in your introduction that you're a grants coordinator for NYU Abu Dhabi. Tell us a little bit about um, what you do there and what your work is. Absolutely. So I got hired on um, in research, just pretty much fresh out of my master's program. I was working on my thesis, which focused on um, performance and video art created in the UAE and didn't really expect to see myself here for very long, other than just kind of finishing that up and going back to Dublin. But I ended up kind of moving into this job. So my job in itself is the grants administrator for the Division of Arts and Humanities at NYU Abu Dhabi. So I work with faculty members within my division on all of their internal and external funding. So their grants from abroad and around as well as the automatic funding that they get depending on their position when they join at NYU. It's an interesting position, but the thing that I do love the most about it is a lot of my day more so than necessarily working on budgets is discussing things with my faculty members. A big part of it is figuring out how to make their vision happen within the constraints of their budget and within the constraints of the rules and regulations of the institution and kind of seeing how we can work together to make that happen and fulfill the needs that they have to be able to fulfill their practice or complete their project. Yeah, but it also involves a lot of finances, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I came into this with an art history master's and the ongoing joke is that I'm an accidental finance bro because I am now a wizard with Excel. <laughs> I love that. Um, and, and that, I, the, I think the conversation part links to, to the artistic sensibilities for sure. And I want to dive a little bit more into that, but let's start with the financial part and your work with the budgets and allocating and working things out. 
do you feel like your artistic practice, your artistic sensibilities are connecting to that in some way? Do you find that you're using some of those sensibilities in that financial work that you're doing? How does it connect, if at all? Absolutely. I think that a lot of the understanding that I have from an academic background really plays into my ability to assist with a lot of these things when building out their budgets and thinking about how they have to work to get to what they're, where they want to be, as well as within the discussions within the institution, because I'm also, um, the way that funding derives in way of Dhabi is primarily internal. So rather than talking to external sponsors, you're kind of working with the internal administration to make things happen. So I'm often the one granting exceptions and kind of seeing how things can be made to happen and fighting on the behalf of my faculty members with the administration to try and see how we can get them to what they wish to do. But from a financial perspective, I think creativity plays into just about everything that we do and being able to be creative in how you see whether projects or problems or building a budget when it comes down to it or kind of directing funding in the places that they need to be. Just, you have to be able to think about it, not only from the perspective of them, but the perspective of others and see how you can kind of make the numbers work for how they need to be. Yeah, yeah. And uh, something that I'm thinking about right now, and it's just a thought that I want to put out uh, to you and see how you respond, is I feel like the what you're talking about in terms of finding ways to work around the institutional constraints or the creativity within the budget, to me, sounds like you're also, um, it's a reflection of your of that practice that you, that you talked about in the beginning. If um, you're being led by your emotions when you're creating to a certain extent, so if you feel like you want to throw a bucket of paint at the at the canvas you do that and you see what comes next um and you're essentially kind of creating a constraint for yourself to to figure out something else um is that does is that a connection that you would draw or how how do you feel about that absolutely um i mean when you're whether messing with a canvas or accidentally sew the wrong way or over your finger you're kind of dealing with a bit of mess and have to then problem solve, okay, how can we work with this? How can we make this better? And a lot of my job is problem solving and kind of working to see how, okay, like, yes, how can we make this better? Like, let's let's finish this up. Let's see how we can get there. Yeah. And there is this, uh, the, the other thing that I'm hearing through that, the problem solving also is not being afraid of the problem. And where do you feel you got that from? Do you think you got that from the practicing um, art and creating or from your work with the institution? I think a lot of that comes from just the way that I think about art and life itself is you're always going to be encountering issues and problems and things that need to be remedied or solved or worked around. And throughout life, there's really no way around encountering that. Um, but just having the ability to kind of look at it from different perspectives and think about how we can you know, create something new. It may not be where you started. You may not get exactly what you want out of the situation, whether it's arguing with administration or working within the constraints of a much smaller budget than you imagined. But as long as you are creating something in the end, you are, it is a success. It may not be what you wanted, but it is still something. You've made something, you've done something. You're helping other people work within constraints and understand um, kind of the result of what happens uh, or if there's if they encounter an issue or they don't get what they expected, essentially helping them guide them through that. What goes on in your mind when you, in your art, don't get what you're expected, what or what you're expecting? 
How do you guide yourself through that? Whenever that happens to you, you pretty much have the two options of, okay, I'm going to start over. Let's just back to blank canvas. Let's think about this from the very beginning and build it back up. Or it's, okay, I accidentally dripped a giant splash of that all over this canvas and myself. Let's maybe just rub it around. Let's see where we can get with that and see if we like it, let it dry, come back to it, see if we can think about it from a different direction. And, you know, just mm. kind of try and give it a moment and see where it'll take you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll shift gears a little bit uh, to you come, you did, you studied art history. So you come from an, I would say, artistic background for sure. You ended up in, as you're describing yourself, a finance bro person. Um, what was that transition like with your with your background, with your expertise? A little bit jarring at first, of course, because I came from writing my thesis and papers on um, costume history in the medieval period to kind of working with individual researchers on their projects, which when I started the research institute was everything from, you know, space science to climate change to all kinds of other things. Um, and so, but I think so much of it is also just dealing with people. Um, while some areas of finance are much more focused on numbers and outputs, like a lot of my role is kind of just like working individually with faculty members. I've had many meetings where it starts with, hey, so I kind of want to do this. Um, and then next thing you know, we're an hour into them describing their artistic practice on me and the recent books they've written. And we've come to a conclusion in which we're like, okay, we can hire this person that way and we'll do this this way. Just kind of getting to where they need to be, which I know I keep on repeating, but I mean, that's the end of all artistic practice and work is just trying to get you where you need to be, whether visually or just kind of throughout working within the systems that constrain you. And I think art itself also is a constraining mechanism. You're taking something within a very certain, you know, whether a canvas or like a very specific paper, like a sculpture, <laughs> so on, um, but just taking something and creating it within the confines of material. And a lot of the times you just have to do that anyway, regardless of what the constraints are. Sorry, I totally rambled there for a hot sec. No, yeah, I think that that rambling actually turned into something that uh, is having me think in a different way. Because when I think about art, I'm always like freedom, you know, we, there's so much you can do. There's so much you can create, you can think about, you observe, you reflect. And as an artist, yes, you know that you're supposed to create constraints for yourself in order to frame your work or you know be productive in some way but you just said that um I don't know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put words in your mouth but what I'm hearing is the thought of art as a constructing a constricting mechanism so thinking about um exactly what you talked about like taking the uh inspiration or the call from the material that you're working with and that is your that is what is constricting you and that's your frame. Can you dig deeper into that? I'd love to hear more about how you think in that way. Absolutely. I think regardless of what art you're creating, you are confined to the material you're working with. Um, so yeah, like you said, you kind of have to like take into account whatever that material is and then build off of it, you know, whether it's canvas, sculpture, architecture, or even just like whenever you're working um, on digital mediums, like you are constrained to a certain space in which you are trying to bring something forth. And I think there's ways to bring beauty into just about everything around you, whenever you have that sentiment. Um, 
I do have some of my coworkers that will always tease me for how pretty I will make literally any spreadsheet I'm working on. Because if you're going to have to look at it for hours, like it might as well be visually appealing. Like I don't want any of that jarring bright yellow there on black screen. No, thank you. I love that. Um, I'm gonna. I want to ask you a question about that later. Um, how I'm curious for your personal process. Then, what do you start with? Do you start with the, what comes first? I guess the material, the thought, what you want to create. Then you find the material. What comes first? I'm a bit of hoarder of materials. Um, so I have everything from art signage that was taken down from a gallery, two large pieces in my living room, one of which Alexa used as a background is actually the pedestal in which art used to sit upon in the art gallery. Um, and like what lies behind me is actually just a very large like painting tarp um, for when I was planning to actually paint my walls and instead I was like, hey, I can use this. Let's just hang it in my living room instead of or well in my dining room instead of painting um, the dining room itself. And so now it just covers all of the walls of it. Yeah, nice. That's so cool. Because I feel like I'm, I almost always imagined working in the opposite for myself. Like, yes, I have a, for example, when I, as a theater director, when I directed theater, I had a play and that's, that's the restricting material. Let's call it that in the performing arts world. Um, but then there's so much freedom that I would have in terms of, what is the direction? What is the design? What's the feeling? What's the mood? What 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 is my interpretation of that play as a as a person reading it or directing it? Um, and I and I always came at it from the the sense of freedom and unlimited choice, having to narrow it down. But I love finding out more about your process of starting with a constriction. And then working from that, like it's, it almost feels like the opposite to me, you know, like from something small into expanding into ultimate freedom in a way. So let's dig a bit into that designing spreadsheets one, because I feel like um, I just want to ask, how do your colleagues react to that? Well, they just kind of find it funny, honestly. And then um, whenever one of them designs something and wants all of us to work on, I'm just like, can I change the colors? Can I change this a little bit? And they're always like, yeah, of course. Like yours are always very pretty. Just go for it. Yeah. Do you have you found that um, conversations change when people look at this at, at design spreadsheets, or that you find easier to look at, um, or do they stay the same? Like, does it open something if if it's easier to look at if it's out of the norm, um, or do people are people more comfortable with staying in the norm of the horrible yellow on a black screen? Because I've been in my role for a while now and there's been so much turnover, I've actually had a lot of space to be able to be the one that creates oftentimes a lot of things that people are interacting with, which is really lovely because then I can kind of build it from the get-go and always try to get feedback throughout the process to see how people interact with it as with like, you know, most web design or even just like design within online spaces that we all had to do a bit of over COVID. Mm. But in terms of spreadsheets themselves, I don't think it oftentimes deviates from people's expectations as much as they do find it a little bit less jarring having mm. things not in neon red whenever there's an error or something <laughs> or to be highlighted. But um, I think I'll often get little comments on it, just be like, oh, that's pretty. And I'm like, thank you. Um, but yeah, nothing too jarring from anyone else's perspective. Um, and I tend to work within the confines of what we kind of have to produce but I think yeah. even when you're creating 
design. I have some friends who are really wonderful, like um, web designers and create different, whether online learning experiences or work with corporations to kind of redesign their websites. It plays such a big role in how you perceive, um, you know, what's being done, whether you're looking at a budget and kind of seeing how it can be simplified as much as possible while also creating a genuine understanding for the person looking at it and also just making it a little bit pretty. Yeah, I think we all need a bit more prettiness in our lives. And uh, I do think it like, I mean, I've seen it open conversations in the past. I don't know if it's the same in the, the field that you're working in, but it, if people see something unexpected, like I feel like even the the uh, the comment to you for uh, oh this looks pretty or this this looks nice um, or the joking kind of teasing version of that, I think it puts people into a different space of mind. Maybe it takes them out of their their usually day their usual day to day and um, I, ideally maybe makes them feel the permission to be a little bit bit more creative or also just. I don't know, maybe makes them appreciate something uh, in a different way than they have before. I like to think so, at least just a little tiny way of bringing a little bit of niceness into having to work on spreadsheets and with way too many numbers all at once. Yes, for sure. Uh, what can people who have an artistic practice um, do in order to position their sensibilities that they're gaining through that in a way um, that allows them to enter uh, into a professional world or uh, um, kind of bring that part of their identity into, into businesses and corporations? I think bringing emotion and excitement is a lot of what will end up getting you a role whenever you're moving from working in the arts into something new. And if you're bringing an understanding from outside, or even within the same realm as the organization, but in a different way than they might have expected, you can lend a lot to that conversation. But in terms of my own artistic practice, I think a lot of it ends up just being flexibility and adaptability. You have to just really see where things are gonna take you and be able to adjust and adapt, which is something we all had to do rather um, abruptly during COVID is just kind of reshaping all of our interactions and how we deal with our day-to-day -day jobs in a very, very different way, very suddenly. I'm thinking about how we're interacting with online spaces in a very different way from how we used to once that option of in-person contact was taken away. Mm. Mm. I love the start of flexibility and adaptability too, because that's something that for me, listening to you and, and um, knowing you and, and your practice, that's something that shines through so much this the idea of flexibility and adaptability and now hearing you talk more about about your work too it it really seems to prime you to be able to be flexible and work within constraints and um i think that's such an important thing that i haven't thought about in terms of artistic practices we do we, we do need to be flexible we need to learn to adapt to the circumstances if we uh i'm thinking in theater terms if there's a if there's a technical constraint that doesn't allow us to light a certain part of a set or of the stage, what do we do? Where do we put the actors? Where do we put the design? So there is a lot of flexibility that we learn that I think is so important in in business settings in order to allow us to, to respond maybe more authentically or um, quicker, uh, or in new ways to to problems that we might have not have faced before. 
Absolutely. I think it's just part of living, um, but also just such a big part of having to adjust within the arts is just having to have that perspective and think about, okay, well, that didn't work. So what can we do now? I wonder, let me ask you this. Is, was there a moment in your professional practice, it doesn't only necessarily need to be about the work that you're currently doing, where you found that your artistic practice intersected with it like a moment where you were like oh I never thought about it this way and and or I'm using this uh, sensibility or skill that I've I've acquired was is there a moment like that like an aha moment or a moment of realization absolutely I think it lended itself really heavily to um, one of my first jobs actually when I worked in the states in an educational technology company and I was a part of like the learning team. So we kind of worked with a variety of people from academic and um, other professional institutions to build their courses. And what played into that was learning environment modeling language and kind of how we think about how things should be shaped. Like how do we want to take this idea of this structure of a syllabi and kind of make it engaging, like change it around and move it and kind of mold it to something that'll be interactive and engaging and interesting. And so just kind of having that ability to kind of shape something so deeply, which also kind of plays itself into my current role, where I've been working a lot on kind of developing kind of these procedures and so on to kind of work with faculty members and think about ways to make it not only easier for them, but more easily understood. And so much of my practice is just kind of like moving within that and thinking about okay, what can we do next um, that will keep this interesting? <laughs> and so it definitely played itself a lot into that other job. Mm. Yeah, thank you for drawing that comparison. Um, and, and distilling that moment of learning, I think that's so helpful. It's, let me turn that question around then. Um, what can organizations do to engage artistic sensibilities more openly in their culture and allow people who work together um, or who work for the business to bring in their artistic practice or what they're learning from it into that setting? I think dialogue and discussion would be key to that. Because um, even though maybe the person who runs the business may think about things in a certain way and kind of confine themselves to that vision of it, having open discussions and dialogues with not only your coworkers and collaborators, but people outside of your organization about how they think about this thing that you've created. How do they interpret it? How do they understand what you do and what you're hoping to create? Because, I mean, especially within our history, you're always listening and learning from other people's opinions on the same piece mm -hmm. and trying to think about a different way to interpret that yourself or taking different clues they may not have um, been able to access and using them to inform your different understanding of this thing, whatever it may be. Um, and so when thinking about organizations, I do think that that kind of dialogue and discussion is key. And especially if you are hiring people that aren't necessarily always within the stringent background in which they are doing the job that you're hiring them for. Like if you're bringing someone in um, for HR, but they've also had like this expansive experience in another field that is slightly relevant to yours, they will bring so much into that conversation whenever they have the ability to do so in a way that you may not have expected if you had had someone who had only had that very specific background and the exact thing you're hiring them to do. Mm. And what, in your experience, what works well in order to create these spaces of dialogue and discussion? 
I think having a certain level of openness and the ability to think about the policies and procedures that you have in place and kind of take a consideration into that when dealing with those cases that, because nothing will always be perfect in terms of those rules and regulations. There will always be things outside of that that won't have been included in it. And rather than taking that in a, we've never dealt with this before and no, we're not gonna do it. Thinking about talking about it, whether within your company or outside of it with the people who wish for that to happen. Um, and just kind of seeing where that discussion will take you because it may be in a very different direction than you've originally imagined. Hmm. And do you feel like, this is a bit of a leading question, do you feel like crafternoons might be an answer to a crafternoon type things? I think if there is space in which just kind of have that time to create, it creates such a camaraderie amongst the people who have that ability to do so and leads itself to kind of open discussions about not only what they're working on and what they're doing, but just connecting with each other, their lives, their own artistic practices and how, you know, you just kind of inform each other's ideas in a different way than you would expect. It's one thing to create something alone, but to create something alongside a lot of other people um, who are doing very different things lends itself to just those kind of discussions where everything can be brought up. You can get a variety of opinions. Someone be like, oh, hey, why don't you do this? And then next thing you know, you've created something really wonderful that you hadn't even thought about before. Amazing. Maybe the last question for today then, what are, personal one, what are your next big milestones and what intentions are you setting for them? Well, <clears throat> When I first moved here, I was pretty strict on like, oh, I'm going to be applying for my PhD this year. Next thing you know, it's four years later and I have a very different job. I'm no longer just writing my master's thesis. So it's something I'm considering. I think post-COVID, um, everyone's kind of had a lot of time to reflect on where they want to see themselves. And I've done a lot of that myself as well. And on one hand, I'm like, yes, let's run away back to Europe again. Like what, the second or third time to do another degree? <laughs> <laughs> and kind of work towards that and get more in depth into the areas of interest that I have within history and art history. On another side, um, because I am quite connected to this country, I did grow up in Dubai and then have lived in Abu Dhabi for a while now. It's a really wonderful place to see the arts develop and blossom in a way that you won't see in most other countries or communities. And being a part of that is something rather wonderful in its own way. So I'm also kind of looking at other ways to think about what I do and maybe move up or around in whatever way is possible to kind of continue trying to assist people in bringing their own visions to life while also you know, still having space to create my own art, um, which is just something I do solely for myself unless I'm just making a piece for a friend. Um, but yeah, just making sure that that time is available regardless of what path I take next. Um, is something I'd like to do. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I love that, helping other people create their own visions while making sure that you have the space to create for yourself. Lily, thank you so much. I learned so much from our conversation. I really I really enjoyed it, and I hope the listeners will um, take something away from it as well, many things, even if it is just to create time for yourself to make sure you create art. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Arts in Business. Episodes are being released weekly, so make sure to follow or subscribe. I hope you have a great week ahead of you.